dropping your anchor comes from a grounding technique to anchor yourself in the present moment. And to me, that was probably one of the most potent changes in my journey with my dog because I realized if I managed to be in the present moment with my dog, not in my head, but with present with my dog, I probably make the better judgment and I have a better understanding of the situation. I read my body language better, my dog's body language better, and my environment better. Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts, and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live, and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host, Panos Anagnostu. And I'm your co-host, Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. And today we have Bertie O'Sheedy joining us, well, in her own studio via Zoom. Hey, Bertie, how are you going? Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. This is as yeah. this is as real as it gets in the in the age of COVID. This is like the equivalent of an in-person meeting. So it's all good. It is really nice. Like I'm like, I get to know Luke. I know Pan is quite a bit. So it's really nice to hang out. So thanks for having me on. <laughs> ah, it's a massive pleasure. We love it. Actually, you know what? Um, well, I guess I'm just going to get straight out there is that I started listening to you and you've been on the Canine Paradigm, another podcast about dog training for, you've been on there for quite a few times and you've put out so much good content and every time you're talking, I'm in the car going, yes, yes, oh my God. Well, I that's very sweet of you to say thank you because I have to add a reaction if I hear myself on the podcast. I'm always like, oh no, I should have said that differently, or I can't say my voice. So, um, thank you for your sweet words. <laughs> no, not a problem at all. Look, um, there was something that uh, there was a saying that that I that I had had come aware of a long time ago saying that, you know, I teach dogs to live in our society, dogs teach us to live in the now, and you know, something very much that that I learned from your previous um, webinar that you did just last week talking about was it, is it my dog my teacher that's what it's called yes. yeah and um and wow I resonated so much with that because you know so much of the time you know us dog trainers are working on getting into the depths of our dog behavior dog psychology and we're focusing so much on the dog but as a dog trainer and as a behaviorist or you know working on behavior modification there's there's two sides of the lead and if one side is inadequate or is struggling with you know, deal especially when it comes to dealing with problem behaviors. You know, we and not that I'm a like we know um, we're going to talk a little bit about you, but like I'm no psychologist, but you you really do get have to get to know a little bit of the psychology of the individual person and how can you convey in, um, the information and and do they absorb it and and then of course if they have any obstacles or blockages, then how can we get past that so that they can communicate with their dog clearly and. Um, and I really do resonate with, and then of course, you know, me and you and, and Luke as well, we're, we're very open-minded, but we can get a little bit, I'm not going to say woo-woo, but we can be open in terms of understanding things beyond the science and, and talking about some spiritual concepts, which, which is important, but not everyone resonates with that. So you've got to change your language to each individual person. And, um, and that's what I really took from your webinar the other day. Oh, thank you. It's, um, yeah, I'm always a bit. Um, like I have a lot of friends who make a career out of things that they're really, really good at, and I always make a career out of things that are stuffed up. So, so, so um, 
interesting that path and you know I think it's so true like I think we hear messages at a time in our life through a different filter I think um you know everyone's on their own journey and there are times in our lives where we hear the scientific part and then sometimes in our life we hear the other part sometimes we hear the things that are unsaid um depends you know what part we're on and I think that's the beauty of it and I think that's why dogs are never boring because like you never stop growing with them you never stop learning with them and my whole journey with my dog was basically just that my dog was a quicker learner than me and I was holding her back and my my shadowy side or you know my triggers in life and my teachers in life they were essentially um her stoppers so I had to look at them because otherwise she wouldn't have progressed in her training yeah, it's so true. Give us a little bit of um, a background of, you know, what you do for a profession and um, both for the human and the dog. Um, so, well, I'm Bertie Oshini. I'm a trained clinical psychologist that specializes in holistic psychology. I love seeing the whole picture from a person, not just a pathological side. Um, the reason why I got into dogs was because I have a beautiful dog. Her name is Luna and she. It's one of my biggest teachers in my life. She taught me more about myself than all my years of therapy and navel gazing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and then I realized that maybe if I can help, well, I discovered techniques from psychology that helped me with my dogs, and I'm like, oh, maybe other people could benefit from that. And then I started playing around with certain things and, you know, realized that, hey, it's not just about the dog. All these things, they start to kind of, weave into other areas of our life and that's how I then started focusing on the human end of the lead um, and for me the dogs are this beautiful connection to nature and I think that a lot of people are missing that peace in their life like that peace to nature and just um, that connection that they have and yeah, that's me in a nutshell. I'm, I'm a bit of a complex person, so maybe something pops out later on. But Do you think that's yeah. the, the modern life that we live now, Bertie? Do you think that's why a lot of us are missing that connection with nature? I think the so. The urban like, life, you know? Yeah, well, I can only talk about myself. I don't want to make assumptions of others, and I can't, I'm unfortunately these days, not ready with scientific papers, so I can only tell you my observations. Mm. But... I honestly believe that nature is the most grounding thing we can experience and it naturally just soothes us and it naturally puts us in perspective and it naturally tells us that we are very beautiful and important but we are also tiny. We're just a speck in this world. So it removes a lot of pressure at the same time. And I do feel that there's a lot of things in nature that we can't replicate. For instance, I think if you haven't, if you as a child grow up outside, you just naturally have this awe and wonder. You know, you can see this amazingness in nature. And I think if you're missing that, if you're so disconnected and you get your awe and wonder from shopping or social media, that wears off really quickly. Mm, it's um, very superficial. Yeah. And it's very egocentric. And a lot of psychologists term this time of our life the egocentric stage. And they actually think that our emotional well-being, like, um, doesn't develop past an adolescent these days. And we're not talking about age. We're talking more about maturity, mm. uh, psychosocial development, what we do for our community, what we think is a successful person, what we think virtues are. There's hardly 
any talk about what a personal virtues journey everyone should have or what things we should achieve. Um, yeah, so I agree. I think so. You know, you said Luna was your greatest teacher. What What were some of the lessons that you had to learn individually? With her? Yeah, and, and with her because she had her own issues, but then also like what, what was it that you had to change or to become more aware of? Um, so first of all, I think she was a, a mirror. I don't think that every dog is a mirror of a person, but my dog mirrors me quite well and a lot of sides in me she mirrors. And I think what she mirrored to me and what I struggled to see was how I managed my emotions and how I dealt with my emotions. And I think I would have said that at that time, oh, my stress levels are okay, but she would have, her behavior would have indicated that my stress levels were higher. And also what she definitely showed me was how I cope in life and how I get my emotional needs met. So I'm very always interested in seeing why people got certain dogs at what time in their lives, if there were any unmet needs in their life. And I got her when I felt quite isolated. I was fairly new in Sydney and, um, wasn't in my happiest place. So she all of a sudden became a substitute for connection, which put a lot of stress and burden on her because that's, you know, that's not fair on her. Um, and she also taught me what I didn't think at that time is I thought I had good boundaries. Like I thought I was fine with boundaries. As a clinical psychologist, you have to have good boundaries. And I do have very good professional boundaries. But if I love someone, it's a different story, mm. you know, in, in regards to family um, and advocating for my needs and other people's needs. And how do those like lack of boundaries affect your relationship or I guess your training journey with Luna? For me, it was really hard to tell people that they're not allowed to interact act with my dog because mm -hmm. he has a history of dog um, aggression and human aggression. She's a rescue, is she? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I got her when she was one year old and I knew that she had quite an interesting journey and I was unaware at that time. I thought, oh, look, she maybe had some traumatic experiences, but in hindsight she had, just hasn't been socialised. Mm -hmm. And she has naturally her genetic makeup is quite fearful. Like, you know, she's not the most resilient dog genetically but for the, for the listeners what breed is she Brody? she's a mutt <laughs> she's a mutt she's she's like me we don't like really know us, what nationality yeah. we are <laughs> like, a bit of that bits and pieces mm. but she she to me has um like when i got her and i had trainers she was not just difficult for me she was also for other people difficult to manage because she gave quite a few people a split lip or a blue eye just because she was so energetic. Um, mm. And she had really strong separation anxiety. Like she cost me easily 10, 15 grand the first year just in destruction. Mm. Um, and she definitely made me a better behaviorist because it came down to a lot of behavioral skills with her. And you asked me before what she taught me and what she did teach me was that I needed to learn stillness within myself so that she could benefit from that and to really be in the present moment. And she showed me what a perfectionistic mindset I had and that I sometimes pushed, I'm quite a type A personality, um, push way too hard and actually don't see what's there. Mm -hmm. Like I, I sometimes struggled to read the situation appropriately instead of just being in the present moment and taking in what's actually there in front of me. 
You know how you yeah. said like, you know, dogs will mirror some of our behaviors. One thing that I've generally noticed, and again, none of this is like a hundred percent rule, but usually we see some of the reactive aggressive dogs will have the the owner will be on the opposite spectrum, a little bit more passive. And then people that are a little bit more intense have the more anxious dog. What do you think about that and, and how can that play out? Um, I definitely have seen what you've just mentioned in other people. Um, within myself, well, what I can say is I've been both of those things. Mm-hmm. So on one thing, I've been too laid back. And on the other hand, I've then once we had the problems, I was too anxious, right? Then I mm. was so worried because there was one story where um, our neighbor's house caught fire and we had to ev- evacuate our home because we were worried that our house is going to explode. And it was in the middle of the night and my husband was in America and we evacuated, you know, we were crawling down the stairs while there was a lot of flames going on. And wow. then there was the policeman coming towards that towards us to check in with us and Luna just went for him you know yeah, like and yeah. he he just got a massive fright and I got a massive fright because she just she just skyrocketed at a policeman right <laughs> <laughs> like, like I'm like oh and and at that same moment I'm like oh I might be homeless soon because my house he's like ma'am prepare yourself your house might blow up I'm like this is my oh. rental property and in my head I'm like oh but I have a car there so maybe I can hop in the car and escape he's like there's no time for you to take your car away mm. you just need to go um oh. so after that I was quite anxious because in my head I'm like oh my god what's gonna happen um but I also noticed that I think people have this assumption especially in the pet industry, that every dog is so resilient towards social interaction with humans, like they don't read their dog well. And I think that was a big um, misunderstanding that I had. Like I had this idea that dogs love pets, (laughs) Yes, Um, which is weird. And that pets will will make our dog feel better. Oh, the dog's feeling anxious or the dog is very reactive, let's just say, and then to pat them should just make it okay. Just like if, Luke was having a bad time and just me hugging him should feel good. And maybe that's the worst thing that I could do, yeah. you know, and, but it's, it's contextual. Our, yeah. yeah. It's very contextual. But then also it's, it's what do we see our dogs to be? You know, like, and we did an episode a while back. I'm talking about, well, what, why do, why do we have a dog? What is it that even drawn us, draws to getting a dog in the first place? Why are we so a, a like, what is it about the whole dog human relationship that is so appealing to all of us? And 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 it's, it was always a rhetorical question, nothing for anyone to answer, but for someone to ponder and to meditate on, to think of, why did I? Why do I have six dogs in my house? Or like, why am I? I can, um, why am I so drawn to having this relationship? And is it because you you genuinely want the dog, or is there because there there is a therapy in, involved? And there was something that you said in the webinar, like dogs are guides to our inner world, and. You know, they do bring out that inner child within us is that, you know, and there was one client I had, it was a while ago and, I, and this is when I was very new to the to the game and maybe my filters weren't really there, but it, but it happened to be that it was a good situation was that the lady who had the really big expensive house, she was a lawyer, you can tell that she was a very stern sort of person. But in her house with the Malamun, I don't, I don't remember the other breed of the dog and her children, everyone, it was just chaos in the house and she was so cool with it. And, and I, and I said something to her, I said, 
you're really in, like structured at work, right? Very disciplined, very down the line. You know, you don't take no shit. It is what it is. But like, what's happening here? And then before I could say, I continue, she finishes by saying, yeah, but I let everything happen like this at home because I am too intense at work. And I use the children and the dogs as my time to just let free. But that was mm. her, that was her downside was that, you know, she had to balance both out whether, or I don't know, being a lawyer, maybe she can't be too laid back, but being at home, she needed to set some more boundaries and rules and structure and what, what the dog had, well, maybe whether she, and I haven't seen her in a while, so who knows if she's learned the lesson or not, but I could see that the lesson there was that you can't go from one extreme to the other. You can't have complete order somewhere and then have complete chaos somewhere else is that we need to try to balance it all out. And something for her was that not only was her, she was okay with the chaos at home, but it was really stressing her out, but she thought giving everybody no boundaries was what they wanted because she really wanted less boundaries in her life. What do you think about that? <laughs> My diagnosis. No, I had, a, I had a very similar client. Um, I once ha- did a workshop and it had a very different format and um, the lady was bringing her dog and it was, um, I think, a Vipet and she, it was like 7.30 p.m. and the Vipet, she brought his own fluff bed with him and a blanket and the dog was cosy and she had snack bags and... Um, and she was so stressed, like she looked phenomenal, like, you know, like perfect person, you know, like 7.30 at night and that person still looked red carpet ready, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, she's like, so my dog needs blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay. And then I said, how are you today? And she's like, oh, I'm okay. And I'm like, you sure? And she's like, yeah, I got up at 5 a.m., did a 20K run, then I went to work, then I was in a 14-hour meeting, I haven't had lunch yet, I haven't eaten yet. But she did all these things for her dog. That dog had a dream mm. life, right? Yes. But her needs were not met. Um, wow. So I think very often there's this projection into our dogs that we live um, vicariously through our dogs sometimes. Um, Why I, do people do that from a psychological perspective? I can tell you I think it's sometimes easier. It's much easier to monitor my dog's perfect diet than monitor my own diet. Like my dog has an amazing diet and and I'm like sometimes I'm like, oh, pizza is great for dinner <laughs> and my dog gets her raw food, right? Yeah. Um, but sometimes I think so that's I think sometimes it's easier. Some, sometimes it's just unawareness, I guess, or worthiness. Am I worthy of that? Um, mm. It can go really deep and sometimes it's not deep at all. Yeah. Jordan Peterson talks about that in the second chapter of his book. He talks about how um, people are much more likely to, if they take their dog to the vet, you know, they, the, the vet prescribes the medicine, they're, they're, you know, infinitely more likely to give the medicine to the dog than they are when they get their own script. Most people, yeah. like, it was interesting. I'd never heard the stats. It's like a lot of people don't even bother filling the script for starters. They just, like, walk out of the doctors and they're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And then the people who do buy the medicine, they don't even take it. And then the people who take it don't even finish it. So it's like these, you know, diminishing percentages. But I've read that. I've read that chapter. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. But it's also interesting. Like I've been talking to a lot of vets the last couple of weeks. I think their perception might be different to what Jordan Peterson said in his book. 
um, because they have the opposite. Like when I talk to them, I'm like, what makes your life really hard? They're like, people don't want to spend money on their dog. They just want to have the cheap pill or mm. nothing. Um, so, yeah. When you say spend I- money, Bertie, what do you mean? Do you mean like uh, behavioral interventions versus medical ones? or um, The example that I just had in my head was that, for example, a vet told me that very often people don't want to spend $60 to find out if their dog has Lyme disease. Oh, like a test, yeah. Like a, Yeah, like a blood mm. test. Or they don't want to spend money for antibiotics um, mm. or they don't want to rule things out. Um, but I do think, I, I wonder if the world has changed a little bit in the last couple of months because I do think that, be going through some crazy times that maybe encourages people to kind of think about their life a little bit at the moment um and what brings value to your life Mm. well i guess if as a new father i think that it would be i would skip breakfast lunch and dinner but i'd be really upset if leonardo didn't get his lunch for example only because he's not in control like just like our dogs aren't in control to um, scavenge and hunt their own food and to have their shelter and to have their needs met where if I was to neglect them, I would feel like a worse person if I, whether if I was to do it for myself or like, well, then that's my life. You leave mm. me alone. I can do what I want. I can. We have to represent our dogs and our children. We, you brought yeah. a child into the world, so you're responsible for it. The same way you bring a dog into your house and you're like, okay, now I'm responsible for this creature. Yeah. But yeah. actually in saying that as well and, Something that, you know, when the boys asked me um, a, a few months ago when, when my son was only young, he was like, well, how do you feel being a dad? And one thing I said was my existential angst has gone through the roof. I've never thought of my death more than I have in the last year and a half because mm-hmm. I know that my life's not mine anymore. Again, you know, children, dogs, similar, obviously different because I haven't, I don't think, I don't think about my existentialism because of my dogs because I know someone will be able to look out, out for them. But there's something about looking out for somebody else rather than looking looking after yourself and and there is something to that and but some people can care so much like and there's so many of my clients where they and even like people that are on the professional scale where they'll they will they will try so hard to look look after the dog where they forget to be rational they they think too much about it and i think thinking too deeply about it and it's like oh well i asked him if he wanted to sit i'm like you should just tell him you should just tell him he has to sit we're giving commands. We're not asking dogs to do things. We're not giving requests. And and that sort of psychology about, you know, um, putting yourself forward. And sometimes we screw up our dogs by being too emotional about it. And I think being emotional for some people is more of the appropriate thing to do than to be rational, black and white. What do you, what do you, what do you guys think about that? I know that when I went to um, JJ's seminar, he, um, I was very proud of Linda because she did so well because she did it in front of a crowd and she, you know, I was super proud of her. And JJ is, I, I like JJ a lot. Like I have a very soft spot for him. And he was so gentle on me that I laughed, <laughs> but he was very kind to me. And then he's like, Bertie, come here. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you want that your dog has an easy, comfy life, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you don't want that your dog struggles and has to sort things out for herself. And, you know, you you want to give her an easy ride. You want that she has, 
no, that she doesn't have to trailblaze her own path. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, and he's like, but she needs to. Mm. Um, <laughs> so he's like, you can't stop her from struggling. She needs to overcome her struggle so she gets confidence. Yeah. And then he's and then afterwards when the workshop was finished, he's like, You had a hard life. I'm like, Yeah, I know what it's like to fight. So I think, yeah. you know, when you sometimes know things, you either are unaware and you just want that someone else has it easier, or maybe you you just don't know. Don't know. Well, I guess but- that can kind of dovetail into like the te- this is your words. The teachers of life are typically unfair. Triggers, they trigger us. And if not learnt, they will keep coming up and they'll keep manifesting. So if you don't if you don't work on the thing that you need to work on, well then the lessons of life will come back, maybe even intensify worse and worse. And the person yeah. will say, Why does this always happen to me? It's because you haven't learned the freaking lesson and you just got to face that and then work through it. But the challenge is that it's tough, right? Yeah, it is. And and look, there, I mean, it, I, I simplified it a lot. I'm sure it's more complex than that. The reason why I put the, the, the fairness aspect in is because in schema therapy, the, this one therapy approach I'm training, it's becoming a need. The need for fairness is being heavily discussed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people get caught up in that. And I see it all the time at the moment that people just get caught up in this. I had nothing to do with this consequence, but I'm the one wearing it. So it's triggering into this, this is unfair. Um, and I believe that if we are aware that, yes, it is unfair, but it is your responsibility to live with it, to have peace with it, to to be content about it. It maybe saves people time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like like everyone has their own view on life, but I feel like life is this big video game with levels <laughs> yes. and, or a big school. And you just have to level up. And if you sometimes you're stuck on a level, and sometimes you repeat a level, you go back. <laughs> but um, to me, it helps putting perspective on things and to make me feel like, oh yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I, one of my mentors he said, you know, um, in life you have you're at one level of life, and you know there's a can of worms. You deal with that can of worms, and then once you've dealt with that can of worms, then the next level will require another can of worms. And the, basically he says that there's no, there's no level where there's no can of worms. There's always obstacles. Yeah. There's always challenges. And just because you thought, Hey, I've got this sorted. Then the next one comes up. And, um, and that's like, it's a hard truth. You don't want to hear that. You think, Oh, but I thought I did all the hard work. Isn't it going to be okay now? And like, and obviously there's uh, everything that we talk about now. And I'm sure within the scope of today's conversation, Every single thing we say can probably go infinitely deep into um into the psychology, into the spiritual side of all of that. But you know, um, one thing that I mentioned when it was in discussion time of the webinar, and I, and I opened that up, and I, I don't know if I've s- spoken about this on the podcast, but back in the day, you know, when Spades was probably around a year and a half, two years old, was when I started to notice, and this is where I started to become more aware of how dogs are reflecting things back to us. Is that um and this in and I had ace and spades at the time and this was only because of spades that I realised this was that um you know I was hot tempered and maybe we can arguably say that maybe I still am hot tempered at times saying we all have our vices right but um it happened to be that after an argument whether it was with me and my mom or me and my sister my, my my girlfriend whatever it was when there was a heated conversation maybe when I was getting a little bit too intense my dog would be somewhere in another room quivering and shaking and and I never put any hard hands on him I never um, did anything specifically to him but he just didn't like that energy he didn't like how I was projecting myself I remember myself. you saying yeah and um and then it was only 
as this continued, because it wasn't like it happened once every blue moon, maybe it was happening more frequently than it had to. And it was that there was one time, not that I could remember the conversation, but, you know, my mum would say something and then I would respond. And then as I would respond in, in a little bit more of volume, a bit more pitch and tone, he would get up and leave the room. And then I noticed that I'm like, oh, I'm about to get mad. So then before I could do anything, mm. I would say, pause the conversation. I get spades. We went for a walk just around the block. I come back, dealt with the conversation better. He wasn't anxious and it was all good because I knew even when he was shaking and nervous, I knew that going for the walk would would just make him feel better. But then I noticed that that made me feel better. And then I was able Emotional to now Emotional transmissions. <laughs> yeah, wow. So, um, you yeah, know, dogs are our teachers. Mm. Yes. We're teaching them to do all learn? these things. I said lesson learned, you know, like it, your dog yeah. taught you a lesson right there in the moment before you even recognized what was happening he did. Yeah, because we're so caught up in the moment, right? We're mm. like, we're in the moment. He's watching us, like staring at, you know, micro expressions. And he can and the way smell it as well. He can smell it. He can smell your adrenaline and your everything. Totally. Yeah, they're pretty phenomenal. Like I was, um, I was the other day I was on the couch and Luna became super clingy. Um, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? And they're like, oh, no, what's wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, do you? How many dogs do you have, Luke? Sorry, I, I didn't uh, even ask. I have one. I have a twelve-week-old puppy that I just got <gasps> about a month ago. What type of dog? He's a half Kelpie, half Border Collie. Ooh, named Shadow. Shadow. Mm. Oh. oh, he's well. a cutie. He's a little soft soul. Isn't he's very he? cute. Yeah. He's cute. He's very cute. He's asleep in his crate right now, like a good boy. What lessons <laughs> well, has Shadow taught well you, done. Luke? Um, well, he's 12 weeks old. He's definitely teaching me patience. That's for sure. (laughs) And temperance. Mm. Mm. You know, that's so interesting. 2am when he's, when he cries in the crate and, you know, learning to not give into his, his cries, but also like if it's an emergency or he really needs to get out for whatever reason and not, you know, like the first few times the first few nights and you're like really sleep deprived it's you're like well i can't be mad like he's a tiny helpless little dog but part of me is like i'm really tired like i don't want to be up at 3 a.m dealing with a crying dog you know mm-hmm. yeah 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 and, and that. Mm. i i was wondering and one of my friends he's a pretty strong man like he's a bit of a, you know like a very fighter kind of man mm. like a very into like very masculine and he got a puppy and that puppy brings him to the tatter <laughs> of patience and then he's like but then you look at it and it's so cute you just have to kiss it <laughs> and i'm like no this is where you have to be consequent but yes love your dog <laughs> it's funny um it's totally true um, Actually, you know, saying that because you did ask people like, you know, what what um, lessons have you learned from your dog? And um, and I wrote down the most popular answer that everyone said in your webinar was patience. Yeah. And then others was respect, consistency, and my ones was perspective and structure. Yeah. But, um, but, mm. but patience is the biggest one. And the three Ps is practice, patience, persistence. And it's all about not putting your agenda first, but like have an agenda, but you have to work with things around you. And, you know, and I did yeah. skew that though a bit because I did talk a lot about shadowy sides 
So I think people I forced people to kind of go like, like in what shadowy side do your dog teach you? Because I think if I would have framed it neutral and wouldn't have talked so much about the shadowy side, I would assume just an assumption that it would have been companionship or it would have, mm-hmm. you know, it would have been friendship or something about a bond or something because in the end that's why most people have a dog. For sure. Uh, so but, okay, maybe, and even from like a training perspective, though, like my clients yesterday, I saw that they go, "Oh, my, our baby's due in five weeks, and our dog does X, Y, and Z inside the house." I'm like, "Well, in five weeks, I'm not sure what we can do, but I'm gonna, oh, we can do lots of stuff." But you kind of left it to like last minute, and there's lots of things that we can work on. Not that they weren't bad owners; they're doing everything quite good, but they just they, it, it's almost like so we're teaching the bed command. The dog should know a place inside the house. So then I'm showing them the teaching phase of the bed this is how you teach a dog what bed is and they go okay when can you go into the bed and i can stay on the bed i'm like hey guys like you need to you need to work on this first let's give it some time but there's the the, dogs aren't robots just Mm. like if you want to develop a skill um it's not going to happen overnight you know Mm. you need to have that patience and it's not linear either and the dog exactly and you know and spades is still a nervy sort of dog like you know if anyone was to follow the social media like he's a he's, he's a pretty solid dog However, his personality is to be a little bit more nervy than he is on the, the boisterous side. And that's just that's his personality and that's just what we live with. And mm. and same with got me. Got a lot in I, common, Spades. I got a lot in common with you, Spades. <laughs> <laughs> Spades is an old soul and he's um and he's and he's been here before and I, and I've always said that right from the beginning. But um but it's all up to us to have that awareness to see what it is that we need to learn from our dogs. You know, and if anyone listening um, is struggling with their dog's behavior one way or another, yes, yeah, seek out the advice and, and, and work on your dog. But look back on it and spend some time, you know, whether it's in nature or in meditation or in some therapy or, or counseling or whatever it is or with good friends. But look at what it is that you need to work on yourself because if your dog has certain issues, it's not just the dog that needs to be fixed. You can't just, you can send the dog away and get him fixed, so to speak, board and train and then come back. But if you're not challenging yourself and then growing into the the leader and the the dog owner and the person that you need to be, then you then it's going to be a lot difficult, a lot more difficult to to live with your dog in the way that you want to live with your dog. Yes. And I I so like that I think you know it's so relationship based what you just said. And and I think we forget that dogs, we establish an est- a relationship with our dogs. They're not an item we can order. Like I want my T-shirt this size, this color with this print. It's a relationship. Yes. Um, and I think yes. that's very often a reflection. Because people um, get the dog, like the, the Hollywood picture. I mean, I want to sit next to the fireplace with my dog. You know, the Labrador sits at our feet and he is this thing that he's supposed to be. I got the dog because he's supposed to be this. And rather than... You know, life doesn't go like that. You know, next next week something tragic happens and you need to bounce back and, and, and work and learn through it as well. And, you know, maybe it is a, it's part of our times. You know, you said that it's an egocentric time. Um, I would like to talk more about that. But And maybe my face value of what that means is that, but it should be because I want it to be that way. I'm entitled enough because I'm a human being and I'm worthy of everything and, I, and, and it needs to happen for me now rather than, Hey, I'm a participant of life, and I don't know what life's a mystery, you know. Um, and we have to take it every day as it comes, and and the lessons that are there can can be cruel, can be kind, but it's up to you to to be aware enough to to make a change. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I also you- think that dogs are very 
at the end of the day, they're very patient with us. Like I made so many mistakes with my dog. So I made pretty much every mistake under the sun. That's why I feel like I can call out these things because I've made those mistakes. <laughs> so, um, but you know, did you get Luna before you did the NDTF or after? Classic story after because, well, I got, no, I got Luna, then did NDTF because yeah. I, I was intrigued. Mm-hmm. And also I just wanted to have the best skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, typical journey, I guess, with like lots of other NDTF people. Um, but, yeah. yeah, she's my first dog too, my very first dog. Did you have and, dogs growing and- up? No. No. I um, pretended my neighbor's dogs were mine. I stole them. (laughs) But um, no, she's my very first dog. And um, it was really interesting because she came to me in a dream and I guessed her name in my dream and I knew her name. Um, And it was like at the the shelter that uh, her name was Lotus. And I'm like, no, her name is Luna. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, her name is Luna. And, like, how did she know the original name from her previous dog owner? I'm wow. Like, I didn't. I just knew she came in a dream. That's crazy. That's um, that yeah. is crazy. I know this is my crazy story, but this is my, <laughs> also my really cool story. <laughs> so, I yeah. had a similar story like that. That's how I met Tanya, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very in tune with the dreams. And, look, and I think – Another thing is when when we do think in these sort of ways, like, for example, way back, you know, when I first started, I used to be very, I was so, in, um, how can I say, inspired or excited for the journey of whatever you want to call the the journey, the great journey, and trying to push it onto people like, hey, it's your energy. you got to think of your energy. Blah, blah, blah. And people are like, what in the hell are you talking about? Mm. And only through time I learned that actually I needed you need to be aware of who you're talking to and, and, and how you're talking. But, um, but people do, some people do are, are more attracted to the, the mystical side of life and others are more in, attracted to that, to that hardcore has to be factual and you got to know who you're speaking to. But usually um, the lessons that we need to learn with our dogs are the, are the opposite of where we're at. And if if as a teacher or coach or someone who just happens to bump into you down the street, it just takes that one statement to get somebody on a new journey or, or, or another perspective. And, you know, um, I think it's so, it's so cool that everyone that has a dog has this, like it's a relationship. It's something and we talked about nature, like, you know, dogs are a pocket of nature in our house, you know, that we say that we're separate from nature. We need to go into nature, but like we are nature. Actually, it's probably even arguable that even our houses and our technology is part of nature as well. Hence, hence, um, you know, Joe Rogan talks about all the time. Like, no, no one, no one freaks out about the honey, the the um, um, the the beehive as being unnatural, even though the bees had to create that hive in the first place. Like, is it natural? Because you don't just see a beehive just pop out of nowhere. That the bees had to make it, and we've made all of technology. Sorry for the technical difficulty, but we dropped out, but we are back again. And I was talking about bees and their hives. And I guess one thing that I wanted to talk about that before that escapes my brain was that, um, you know, we, we separate it. We think we're separate from nature. And I guess we are in a way, you know, if I was to live in my room watching Netflix all day, I guess that is not really a good reflection of how nature is. However, you know, um, I was speaking to a friend the other day that we say that, oh, I'm in nature when I'm in the park. 
but I'm not in nature here, but we, we are nature. Actually, in fact, we are nature so evolved that we're looking back on nature at ourselves going, what are we, you know? And that's how I kind of see it. But our dogs kind of remind us of that, right? Cause he, you just said then that shadow needed to do a pee and he just needed to do a pee. And he said, Oh, he's a, like, you didn't say he's a naughty dog, but some would say, Oh, he's being naughty and defiant. It's like, bro, the guy needs a pee and you're just going to pee. Right. Well, that's but such a, that's such a human concept, the concept of good and bad. Like what's the dog, a dog, dog doesn't care if it's a rug or a pee pad or a grass. He's, like it's the ground beneath his feet. He's going to pee wherever he wants to, and he's only got a tiny, tiny little bladder. Like it, it is he what it is. To alleviate, it just to alleviate his bladder. But instead, instead of saying good and bad, how about we see it as what's desirable and what's undesirable? And I, I, mm. I annoy so many people. Um, they say, "Oh, that's bad." I'm like, "Is it desirable or is it undesirable?" And if we can say it that way, it kind of takes away some of the good and bad. And is it something that wants to be repeated, or is it something that wants to be not mm. repeated? And I guess that's more the factual science side of it maybe not so much the the emotion emotion side of it but to balance it out is really important and i think that's that's a point that i was trying to get at on the netflix thing as well i feel like um not netflix specifically obviously but like uh you know let's say you spend a whole day inside watching movies or just burning time on youtube or instagram for me i know like my body tells me like that wasn't a good day you know, I get this mm. feeling, this kind of like icky. Edgy, edgy, yeah. Yeah, I feel edgy if I don't get outside or I haven't done some kind of move, moving around. Like your body tells you when you're not living in a way that you probably But you're aware be. of that though. You're mm. aware of what it is to be not the other. You know what I mean? I think that society sometimes has, so, for example, if you watch all day Netflix and you do it every now and then, it feels like a treat, you know, mm. like you feel like this is a special occasion. But if you do this frequently and often or you're on Facebook or you're scrolling, then we call this behavior a self-soothing or detaching or numbing behavior. It's avoidance. Mm. Um, but you can get used to that and that becomes the norm. So then mm. you use your baseline of what your body actually craves. Yes. Um, you lose that intuition of what actually feels good. And sometimes it's the opposite. Like if you have someone who is very used to an, an activity that numbs and self-soothes and detaches them, they actually will feel really uncomfortable in nature mm. because they're, they're all of a sudden know how they feel. They're forced to check in with themselves. Yeah. You, mm. you make them feel Because aware. that's all you have, right? It's your... It's just your vessel and how yeah. you absorb the information around you. That's interesting. And that's, I think, you know, there is, so I do it in my dog, my teacher workshop. I also do a, it's called reconnect with your power about a self-care workshop. And that's part of it. That If you are living out of your purpose or without, you know, looking after your soul and spirit, you get used to numbing and detaching yourself. And I did that. Like I'm, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm pointing the finger at myself. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it takes a while. Like I, I see people, and especially because we live in the mountains now, we used to live on the northern beaches. People come here and they're like, it's so quiet. I, I, hear, my, I hear everything in my body. I'm like, I know. Mm. Um, what did Michael Jackson say, Bertie? I'm talking to the man in the mirror. Yes. Yeah, and Totally. I mean, if you, oh, this isn't, I might stop here because this can, we can go down the rabbit hole with that. Sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> what did you want to talk about, partners? You, you said something before you had a specific question for me. Well, actually, it's going to lead into that. I'll dovetail into it, but what we're actually talking about now is about um, in the last week, and I'm going to get specific, but I'm trying to change certain habits of myself. And where was it Wednesday? I felt so uncomfortable. I felt so lost because, you know, I'm, I've, I've gotten used to, um, you know, numbing some of my own behavior. And it was, and I felt so demotivated for like, I don't know, after Leo went to bed from seven to around 10, I, I was like, if I could, and I probably didn't, I was probably just sitting down doing nothing, but like I was, I couldn't be settled anywhere. And I felt like demotivated. I felt yucky. I felt blah. Um, and then I just had that moment of get those blades on. Normally I used to roll a blade with spades, but now he's 10 years old, back legs aren't so good. So I don't roll a blade with him anymore. So it was just a solo mission for me. Um, but when, when, if I had, if I, and also Nookie, her legs are like three centimeters long. So rollerblading with her is not very fun because I think they're very slow. <laughs> um, but I got on those blades and I just rollerbladed like probably like, you know, two Ks down the, along the bay there, found a spot, did some Wim Hof breathing. I did a bit of a workout. I came back and I felt amazing. I had a quick cold shower, um, had some water and about, you know, an hour later I was in bed. So, you know, um, we need to become more aware of what, when, when are we numbing ourselves and and how and and you have to catch yourself out because these things creep up on you you're like oh it's a little treat and we do this here and there and oh this is this is what i like to do it's my vice but then over time it becomes something that consumes you and you need to really know am i being consumed by this activity and it could be um working and it could be so many different things right substance uh, substance abuse or whatever but um you know, that, that awareness, you know, some, there was a quote that, that I love by Alan Watts, probably even said this as well on the podcast. He says, you can't be more sensitive. Uh, there's a price to be paid with every increase in consciousness. You can't be more sensitive to pleasure without being more sensitive to pain. Okay. And yeah. that, that sucks, right? Cause you want to, you want just pleasure, right? But, but pain um, comes, comes hand in hand with that pleasure. And I guess the dove, dovetail into what I want to talk about is, um, you know, we always talk about exercise being a physical pursuit, but exercise really must be a, a mind and body connection. You know, if you were to roll at BJJ or if you were to um, le learn a new musical instrument or when you're going to be training your dog, um, it's the mind and the body engaging together, which creates a fulfillment. We don't want to separate body um, just going for the run only. Like you can run your dog, but you need to run him five hours a day because he's become so bloody fit. Um, and you can do training with him, but if you're not getting the body moving, then the dog feels a bit like, you know, um, unfulfilled in its own self. And I always want to gather your thoughts on, you know, what do you think about mind-body connections and how people can regularly make that a practice in their day? Super important. I'm not a huge expert on this topic. So for me, it's more probably the soul-mind-body connection mm -hmm. and the more mm -hmm. interested in the soul part. But there is the vagal nerve theory out there that is massive in discussing how if you had some trauma in your life or stresses and trauma, not just as in bad things happening to you, trauma also as in not good things happening, the mm -hmm. absence of good is also trauma. Mm. Um, then you need to learn to regulate your nervous system and exercise is an amazing way to do this. And also for people who are very empathic and they feel a lot, like, you know, I can walk into a room and pretty much pick up in 30 seconds what's happening, mm -hmm. um, or you have a lot of mirror neurons and you pick that on, you need to move your body later on just to digest everything that was holding your body. You need to get mm -hmm. it all out. It all needs to settle. And it's also kind of like a way to clear your space, right? So I remember when I was... Um, 
in Sydney, I was contracting for someone and I was push biking every day to work and home. And it was a really steep hill. Like I had to have a second change of clothes with me just because it was, I was so sweaty when I got there. Yeah. But I could do, I was quite happy in my practice and I wasn't super exhausted just because I was quite fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very important that we also, I really, if that's a topic that's interesting, there is um, the polyvagal uh, nervous theory. Nervous theory is really good. And I think Bessel van der Kolk, he just wrote a book, The Body Holds the Score, I think it's called. Mm. Uh, the Body Keeps the that, Score, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that talks about this. Um, there's Ariel Schwartz who talks a lot about a lot about this topic. Um, and look, there are lots of more um, psychologists that are also shamans these days, and they talk a lot about that connection as well. Um, so, Correct yeah, me if I'm wrong. The vagal ner- vagal nerve is the one that's stimulated when you you, you do cold ther- cold exposure, right? I would assume so, but don't know. Mm, I remember, the brain and the I remember reading that. Yeah, the, the gut's very important. Like Narel would know a lot about this topic. For sure. Um, but um, now there's heaps of science coming out and there is also, it's not a new th- therapy, but it's called, uh, what is it called? Psychosomatoform therapy or somatoform therapy but but they basically just do a lot of therapy in regards to what the body's holding on in movement and um in one of the clinics that i was doing my internship as a student we had bodywork therapy where you were giving people challenges and they had to move to that topic and by exploring how their body moved to that topic they um could get feedback yeah interesting insight yeah wow Last thing I want to kind of address because you're um, you're really about um, the technique about dropping your anchor, and I want people to know what that means and how that and the, how that can be a very practical thing for them to be when they are out there with their dog and they are experiencing um, a difficult situation. Sure. Um, so for me, that dropping your anchor comes from a grounding technique to anchor yourself in the present moment, and. To me, that was probably one of the most potent changes in my journey with my dog because I realized if I managed to be in the present moment with my dog, not in my head, but with present with my dog, I probably make the better judgment and I have a better understanding of the situation. I read my body language better, my dog's body language better, and my environment better. Mm-hmm. So what it is dropping your anchor is it's an exercise from therapy and what you're doing is basically I just adapted it for dog owners is you stand up tall if you're walking your dog so this was especially targeted towards um, owners walking their dog if they maybe have an aggressive or you know reactive dog and what you're doing is you have you you know you most of the time you have your dog on a leash and you stand up tall because dogs they read our micro gestures so well and they really track your confidence level it seems like if you if you see people doing sports or ipo the dog knows just by watching the dog owner how well they're doing because they if you watch a lot of um you know obedience people their chin goes down with the worst they do so very often they enter the trial here but when they come out they're here so I've watched lots of videos because I wanted to learn about it and I really noticed there is a huge information for the dog that they can see because that's mm. also the angle they look at just by how tall wow. do you hold yourself, right? 
And, and that was just an observation and I discussed it with people. But Indian dropping your anchor means you stand tall, you straighten up, you make sure shoulders are back, you take a couple of deep breaths, you let go of your tension, especially the tension in your hands. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of look for what's happening around you with all your senses, but not in an emotional way, more in a factual way. You just observe. You don't go good or bad. You just go like, there is this, that's there, this is what my dog's doing. And to me, I always end this exercise with I've got this, I can handle this Um, because I felt very often quite overwhelmed walking my dog in a busy Sydney suburb. (laughs) So so it was um, sometimes I felt like, okay, game on. So, yeah, and that's dropping your anchor. It's basically I drop my anchor but myself. I find my power again and I'm becoming a team with my dog and I'm using my body language to my advantage. Yeah, I love it. I, I tell people all the time when they're walking because I, I think a lot of the time I probably make them nervous because I'm watching them. They're like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm being assessed. I'm like, man, I'm just another brother just hanging out with you, just just giving you some advice. But, um, you know, I've been, ad- I've been adopting a lot more of that as well. Um, from your advice, but a lot of the time is tell people just relax the shoulders, take a nice deep breath and smile because if you're not smiling, you have this concentration about you and the dog will feel, um, we, I do believe about the, the tension, I mean, about the body language and also, you know, there's probably other deeper things that are happening that a dog can notice, but when we tense up those hands, that lead goes mm. tight, that dog knows as soon as our the arm goes tight, up, <laughs> something's happening. Yeah, and your finger goes up. Like you can't mm. hold tension. If your fingers are relaxed, like you can't hold tension if your pinky finger is relaxed, someone told me, and I, don't, I think that's true. Hmm. The other oh, thing that surgeons do, like surgeons who hold very long surgeries and they have to stay relaxed, otherwise they're just becoming a stress ball, and I've forgotten how the muscle group is called, orbital something, but if you manage to relax this part of your face, your whole Muscle tone relaxes apparently. Oh, they're like, talking, that's what we're talking I've about heard. the, the, the upper chin um, because people are probably listening to this uh, up just under your eyes where your cheekbone is. Yes, and up just over around your, your eyebrows. Eyes. So when you're squinting, you're stressed. Mm. You scan. You're scanning your environment, right? You're mm. activating this kind of like this scanning, this hunting, this what's out there to get me. But if yes. you can relax and open your eyes, and maybe that's mm. where the smile comes from as advice. You relax everything, which also sends then a feedback to your nervous system theoretically and goes like there is no danger because you need to you don't need to scan. Hmm. That makes so much sense. Yeah, and and I I remember when I read that and I I hope I did that justice what I read, it's been a while. That when I was walking my dog, I very often would scan the environment for who is off lead, who is coming at me, you know. But then I already am in a state of tension, apparently. So well, Andrew Huberman, Huberman, he's um, a neuroscientist, was on Joe Rogan. I've been listening to his um, podcast recently. And one thing that he said, I think it was on his Instagram, he goes, anxiety, because he's talking, I've been really, like, I'm, I'm always into psychology, but I think I'm a little bit getting into neuro, neuroscience, um, the, the neurology of things, right? It's because it's your mind and your body, the literal connection, the, me- the mechanics of it. But he talks about when people are experiencing anxiety, eyes are going from left to right a lot. And forward momentum, forward mo- movement can relieve anxiety. And, and I can resonate with that just as I gave that example with spades was that when he gets anxious and then when I'm angry, but going for that walk just resets because 
it changes you from that's why I think and this I heard this from somewhere else where they say it's when we're looking at our phone, it can cause more anxiety to our to our nervous system. Where when we look at like a horizon, or if we look at a big landscape, it changes us from the we're we're trying to deal with a, a very specific problem to looking out to the horizon. It changes your your um. It's a very primordial thing mm. when you're trying to look at something very specific. It's it's very stressful. But when you're looking at the horizon, it it, it kind of um. Again, I'm going to butcher that completely, but I think people get my point there. Um, and just like what you were saying too, is that forward momentum and keeping things moving forward rather than getting real tense and tight and um, stressing with your dog, I think it does make a big difference. So um, I guess if, if there's any takeaway there is, um, you know, learn how to drop your anchor and learn how to meditate or learn how to do some breathing just to kind of relax your system because mm -hmm. um, Sun Tzu says you use the best fighters are never angry. And if the best fighters are never angry, well, then if we're going to deal with our dog, even if he's aggressive to the days, um, try to be as relaxed and powerful as you can, because if you're tense, you're probably going to, um, you're going to, you're going to screw things up with your dog and not only just through communication, but also how do you feel next time you go for your walk with your dog? And we do have yeah. dogs to complement our lives, not to complicate it. So that's a good technique. And I also think if we go in with this perception how the situation's going to end, like I remember I was in a park with Luna and an off-lead dog came running towards us and I was really in the habit of dropping my anchor and practicing and nothing happened mm. because I was relaxed. And I'm like, holy shit, that finally. But yeah. I remembered if I would have approached that very differently, my yeah. dog would have picked up on me. For sure. Because so many things had gone wrong at this point stage that I think my dog thought she had to um, have my back yeah. because I was so tense, you know, like we had this unhelpful chain of me doing the wrong thing over and over again, yeah. like cute my dog, then, hey, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is what we do now when we go for walks. I, Your owner is tense, so therefore you should be tense. Wow. Um, well, one thing I'll say before I guess we can wrap it up unless Luke had to um, add something was that I, um, this is 2012, I you know, when you first get into working with dogs, especially since you've had a bit of success, you probably have a bit of a head about you and you're maybe a little bit too egotistic about it. Um, but I was um, down at a session and they had a Neapolitan Mastiff and they and there was something. I was, I'm was i very into my intuition. If my intuition says something, you just got to go with it. If the rational brain is arguing with it, go with the gut rather than the head. And that can cause some problems um, um, at, at some stage. But basically... I said to him, like, look, I'm going to go into the yard. And they're like, oh, my God, are you sure you're going to go into the yard? I'm like, I'm going to go into the yard. It's all good. Because um, that's what my gut said. My brain's screaming, to, screaming, no, no, no. I open the door. I walk into the, ha um, into the backyard. I close the door. And I go, like, four meters from the back door. And this 55-kilo beast just starts l running full speed at me. And I'm like, oh, shit, I kind of fucked up here. Um, I looked back at the, at the window and the owner's face was hilarious. Anyway, I couldn't do anything. So right now. I'm here now. There's no point running because if I run, I'm 100% getting bitten. And this dog has bitten people before. I don't advise anyone do this. Um, so I was standing there. He's run up to me, up right into my front of my body and lun like and launching at my face, like barking at me. And something happened, which was really cool. I just, just completely stayed in the moment. I was breathing. I was just looking out ahead, not looking at the dog. I felt the sweat dripping down my face. I felt my adrenaline rushing but I felt like I just had my body under control. I stood there for about 30 to 40 seconds. The dog started to settle because I wasn't showing that I was a threat to him. I chucked a bit of treats out away from me. The dog ate some food. 
I started, I told the earners to come outside and the dog later did try to bite my shirt um, because when I had him on the lead, he kind of got to be paranoid about me, but it was all good, no injury. And in fact, the dog had made some really great success, but it was only a week after. And I was only like around 22 at the time. I'm like, what the hell happened there? And then I, and it was only when I started, I started meditating at around about 20, 21. And I thought it was that meditation that brought into a, a new habit because what what's a normal habit well what would be a normal reaction rather if a dog's running at you you just run but we know if you know anything about dogs especially dogs that that um feel threatened by you is that if you run away they're probably going to chase and bite you but standing there and not not being a threat but more importantly learning how to relax myself in that moment under intense pressure was a real That's reason cool. why meditation is not just to have insight within yourself but also how do you react with the world around you and um and as i said it was scary um but i was happy that i had the experience because since then we want to learn how to have impulse control teach our dogs how to have impulse control teach ourselves yes. and then through that and i guess that was dropping the anchor right in that moment it's like just just stand you can't do anything anyway you're too far from the door the dog has four legs you can't run away so in that moment i just had to stand there um because there's no point fighting him because he's, he's too strong um, and it worked for me. Um, as I said, I don't advise people try to do that. But, um, but yeah, that was a real powerful, powerful time in my life. I imagine, like, it sounds like, you know, how they say don't react but respond. And I think that's what you did. You, you had mm. enough control of your nervous system that you responded and not reacted. Yeah, it's Pretty crazy cool. stuff. No, it was awesome. Well, it's getting late on a Sunday night, so I really want to say thank you, Bertie, for um, joining us on the show. It's been um, a, 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 an amazing pleasure to have you on. Um, where can the people yeah. find you? Tell us. Yeah. Where, where, can, where can our listeners find you? So um, please find me on Facebook or on um, Instagram, um, Bertie Oshidi, Holistic Psychology. And, yeah, there is next um, the events coming up, like My Dog, My Teacher is coming up, and then there's a self-care workshop coming up called Reconnect With Your Power. Check yeah. it out, guys. Definitely Thank 100% you so much. recommended. You're the Zoom Thank expert. You so Are you? Do you do all your webinars on Zoom, Bert? Yeah, I wouldn't call myself an expert at all. <laughs> I find a veteran. Um, but I'm learning. Mm. No, <laughs> changed, so changed, our, changed our lives, really, Zoom, hasn't it? It really has in the last 12 months. Yeah, um, it has. And I'm, I was like just saying I, I miss people face-to-face, like I get mm. so much more information out face-to-face. But it's what we have and, you know, it also opens doors. Like I had a webinar this afternoon and I have more people from America than from Australia and from Japan. So Japan, um, cool. Yeah. Really I recommend it, guys. Australian in awesome. Japan, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. I loved it. Thank you so much. Much love, everybody. Thanks again, Birdie. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another show of Life With Your Dog. Please like, rate, and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips, and techniques, visit nooches.com.au. Thank you, and stay tuned for next time.